Welcome to the Cocktail Lovers Podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 14 years. But this is a place where we talk about cocktails. We'll be talking about products, we'll be talking about books, and talking about the bars that we love and we think that you'll love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the drinks world and asking them for their top tips to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. There's no particular rhyme or reason for what's on our agenda this week, save for the fact that each item has either piqued our interest or seriously rocked our boat. Product-wise, we're championing Sake Sling, a new ready-to-drink sake-based cocktail developed by the late Wayne Collins. But if you're in the mood for something stronger, London Rye from the East London Liquor Co. should definitely do the trick. Our book choice is A Sense of Place, a veritable treasure trove of beautiful prose and stunning photography zoning in on the lesser-known delights of the whiskey world. And because we know you so well now, we're letting you in on one of our favourite lesser-known bars, the truly delightful 45 German Street. Speaking of truly delightful, we're thrilled to have Claridge's Director of Bars, Dennis Brocky, guesting on the podcast this week. Tune in to hear what's on the menu across the three bars he presides over and why they all should definitely be on your radar. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. Easter is almost upon us. It is. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm always excited Mm -hmm. about most things. But my thoughts always turn to chocolate. Yes, but you you gave up chocolate for Lent, didn't you? I did. Or have uh, you snuck some in sometimes? No, no I'm not. <laughs> but Gary. My, my thoughts always turn to chocolate. I'm looking forward to seeing how many eggs that you get me. Mm-hmm. But also with cocktails in mind and me making a cocktail, I was thinking about chocolate and I thought, well, I didn't really want to do a chocolatey no. cocktail as such because it could be a bit too much. Mm. But it did remind me of something that you and I did a few years ago with Martel. And we came up with a little cocktail back then, which used a little bit of chocolate. And I thought, why not revisit those special times? So I'm going to make that cocktail again. And it was called, and still is called, I suppose, R de V, which is the art of living or the art of life and and the reason for it was it was just at the time we were thinking about nice things that go together with martel cognac and we're thinking of chocolate and we were thinking of coffee mm. and we thought actually those they could have worked together anyway long story short <laughs> or long story long thank you <laughs> long story <laughs> sh- long short or medium size they're the three key ingredients they are the key ingredients in what i'm going to make so why don't i shut up and just make it i'm not saying a (laughs) word (laughs) right so i've got my glasses chilling over there i've got my shaker and i'm just gonna put some ice into my shaker plenty of the old ice going in there and it's funny because I hadn't made a shaker cocktail for a while my last one was shaking so I think I'm getting my shake shaking game back on Mm. 
And why not? Why not? Now, of course, some lovely Martel. And this was for, this was part of the 500-year anniversary? 300, yeah. 300. Yeah, that's inflation, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it was part of the celebration. It was, the 300-year celebration. And we were lucky enough to get involved with some events for that. And this is one of the things we did, was to make this lovely cocktail. Well, I think it's I'm looking forward to trying it again, because I don't think we've had it since then. And that was a good few years ago. It was a few years. Nice to revisit. So I should tell you that I've put in, I've remembered to make two, Mm -hmm. by the way. Thank you. I've put in 40 ml of the Martel Cognac. So that's gone in. And I am putting in, so that's 40 ml per person. Mm -hmm. And now I'm putting in 20 ml per person of sugar syrup. I made this, um, usually my sugar syrups, I make sort of one one on one. This this I made a bit more sugary. So I've made it two parts sugar to one part water. That's to give it a little bit more sweetness to balance with the the bitter coffee. Yeah, with the coffee. I guess there is a nod towards an espresso martini, but we're not saying this is a version of that because we are using filter coffee because we don't earn an espresso machine at home and we didn't want we don't nip out very often to buy espresso we don't do that so why not just use strong filter coffee okay so this has been uh brewing Brewing. and i'm going to do 20 ml per person of that and that is i've not let it cool it's still warm and that's that's it in terms of ingredients so let's get the shake closed up shaker on all right, here, stand back, everyone. <laughs> that's a good old shape. This is my workout for the day, you know. Yeah. Faster this, I must take <laughs> Right, I want that nice shaken up cold. Got my glasses chilling, so I'll just discard whoops, the ice that's in them without throwing it everywhere. There we go. And, yep, now I'm going to sp- Pour this out. So, and it does, when you give it a good old shake, it does get a really nice head on it. Mm. There we go. And so we've got our cognac and our coffee working nicely together. And now the finishing touch is a little bit of grated chocolate. Mm. This is some special chocolate you you just brought me back from. From Mexico. You did, yeah. So this is the nice, the intense, good stuff. Good, good yeah. stuff. It says on the packet at least 70% cocoa, mm-hmm. which is what I would be looking for. And I'm just going to grate. Can you hear the grating effect? This is a great. A new, new sound effect. New sound effect. <laughs> oh, no, we have had great, not grated chocolate, because that did. gives a nicer, creamier, grated finish, but we have had nutmeg. You did, did nutmeg, yeah. didn't you? So, yeah, you know, it's good to mix up the sounds that we're Lovely. getting. Lovely. So I'm pretty generous in most things. Yes, you know. particularly <laughs> chocolate, because you've been depriving yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a lot of grated, plenty of chocolate over that. It's fl- nicely sitting on the foamy head. Mm. So there you go. That's the a, lovely a aroma. There you go. There Cheers. You go. Happy look. Easter, everybody. Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, that's lovely. And the chocolate really does work well with the coffee. I mean, beautiful tried and tested flavours brought together, balanced beautifully. Well done, Gary. Thank Love you. it.
Are you ready for our first tasting? I am standing by. Great. Well, we're going for a canned cocktail. As we know, there's quite a few new canned cocktails out and about. Yeah, some we've great. Tried quite we've a tried. Lot, yeah. We've tried some really, really good ones, and this one we haven't tried yet. It's called Sake Sling. And as the name implies, it's using sake as the base. Mm -hmm. And also it's based on a Singapore sling. So it's taken the classic Singapore sling created in the Raffles Hotel in what date? No idea. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, sorry. Neither would I have, but I've got it written in front of me. It's in 1915. And then... It's been reimagined or brought up to date. And it's very sad, this, actually, because when we got the press release about this, it was talking about a wonderful bartender, Wayne Collins, who Uh, was very legendary. Everybody knew him on bartending circles. And it was one of the things that we'd seen that he'd just come out with, you know. So this was something that he's been consulting on and, and working on. And sadly, just a few days after we received the press release about this, we received news that he'd, Wayne had passed yeah. away. So, R.I.P. Wayne. Yeah, really it's a real gentleman. Real gentleman and real pioneer as well. Yeah. And one of the things that he did do during his very respected career was he had a real interest in the Singapore sling and he sort of brought it back up to date in people's eyes. And that's one of the reasons why he was brought in to, to okay. work on that's this. Yeah, yeah, to work on this project. So it's a shame because I, we really wanted to speak to him about yeah. this collaboration. But now we'll just be drinking to him yeah. and, celebrating and celebrating his life. So sake sling it's been around for a while i'm not sure how long but it's just been introduced to the uk market in february this year and it's just come out with two flavors there are more but we've just got two okay there's um yuzu and melon mm. and mandarin and cherry Ooh. which would you like to mandarin try and cherry please okay so they're available in cans of 250 mils and both at 5.5 ABV. So just to let you know. So on the can, it does say enjoy chilled in the can or pour over ice in a long glass, which we have here. Can you pass me the other one? Just so yeah, so you can have can. a look. Thank yep. you. Yep. It's quite a thin can. It's not one of the stubby cans. No. It's quite and nice. It's, I like the typography and the dye. It's all very minimal. Yes. Nice. Nice. Nice label. I ate almost. Oh, oh I heard oh, you. And Come on. Rewind. Yeah. Um, but it, that suits a sort of Japanese connection. That's, you know, less is more. Yes, exactly. Lovely. And also, I mean, sake is not one of the things that, you know, with the canned cocktails, we've seen gin, we've seen every iteration of spirit but sake not so much no, so this no. is quite a I'm nice really way looking forward to yeah it's got a lovely color actually. yes oh. do you want to describe it yeah it's got um it's a sort of rusty glowing red yeah um, that's it. Red say is a more bit of red. an understatement well it's cherry or, or cherry yeah yes. or, well i guess that's the thing, <laughs> isn't it? you put me on the spot there anyway yeah. it looks fantastic so let mm. me have a little no, nice taste Quite fruity, as you would expect from mandarin and cherry, but not too much of either. There's more cherry, I would say, than the mandarin. It's a nice way because can you taste the sake necessarily? 
I would say it's not, not really hit him in the face. Mm. No, it's but it is. It's a very mild drink. What I do like about it very much is it's very dry. Yes, and that is the sake because there's yeah. that umami um, yes. feel that it has, and then it's highlighted with these lovely bright notes mm. of the cherry and mandarin. Yeah, so it, it's lovely. So yeah, no, I really like that. As I say, the dryness is what really does it for me. Mm. As we're getting into summer, I think this would be a lovely way to have a nice picnic. Yeah, put mm. a few of those in your picnic basket. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to trying the yuzu and melon. That would be pretty delicious. But I think to start off, we've gone with our cherry and mandarin. As I say, 5.5 ABV, cans of 250 ml. They're £4.95 each. And I'm still trying to find out where they're available from. So by the time we've recorded this and published it, I will have dug deeper into um, availability so in be the on UK. The, the notes and on, the, Absolutely. on, on our website. And, and that yeah. is Sake Sling. So next up, I've got a whiskey, a rye whiskey, and it's from East London. Yeah, that's not necessarily something that people would expect, is it? No, it whiskey ain't. and East London. No, it's not. But rye on the other whiskey. Hand, why not mm. rye whiskey? And it's interestingly, well, it's interesting to me. It's a place we talked about on the last season of the podcast when we talked about a gin from this distillery, which we loved, uh, the Q Gin, but they also really into their whiskies. So this is called the London Rye Whiskey and it's from the East London Liquor Company. Mm. And let's have, first of all, have a little word about the packaging because I know last time on the gin, we really liked the packaging. So I'll pass that to you. Yeah, and what we should say, since um, that we reviewed the gin, we've actually been to the distillery. They've got a bar, they've got a beautiful outside space. It really is worth a visit, isn't it? Yes. We, we loved it. It's in Bow and we'll have some details of it in the show notes. So before getting on to the whiskey, I just wanted to say about a wonderful place other than your own home, to enjoy it is to go to the East London Distillery totally agree, in Bow. Totally agree. And as I say, they've got a bar there, which we haven't tried yet, but we, yes, we should do. It was really lovely. Yeah. I love the packaging. It is very bold, very, yeah, unapologetically. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Really nice London rye whiskey. That's what it says, it's, you know. That's what it says, and it's, you know, it's not unapologetic. No, there's no other embellishments, there. really. It just I like says about it their is. vibe, it's kind of confident without being cocky. Yes. So let's yes. do that. Let's, there we go. There you go. So let's pour a little of this out for you. Also, from my point of view, I'm doing my famous generous measures you're mm-hmm. pleased to hear. From my point of view, rye whiskey is one of those things, again, I've just been finding myself getting into in the last Mm. few years and we've had one or two from some nice places so i'm looking forward to this so it's quite a light colored whiskey quite a sort of straw colored almost isn't it on the nose it sort of it reminds me of um geneva okay yeah it's very light it's not in your face it's well it's 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 flavoursome if, if a smell can be flavoursome um but it doesn't make not be backwards anyways enough of that let's taste it <laughs> mm. it's quite smoky mm. 
And we've got that lovely rye, the bite of rye, because there is something very, rye has got that distinctive bite, hasn't mm. it? I think, for well, for me, quite smoky, as I said. Yeah. Or peaty. Well, oh, also, it's interesting, that thing about rye, because we've been eating a lot more rye bread recently. Mm. And I've really been getting into that. So maybe my taste buds are just sort of tuning into these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These flavours. Yeah. I should add as well, it's 55% rye. 45% pale malt, and they age it in um, Hungarian oak, American oak, and London brandy. So there's lots of... London brandy? Yeah. Like, like I mean, the, the cask. I oh, mean. Sorry. Right. Okay. So there's all sorts of uh, elements going there. But mm. I, I like this. I find it very warming. It's really smooth, I think. Yeah, it's lovely. And um, what ABV is this? It is 47%. Right, Okay. And um, it's quite good for that, isn't it? Because yeah. it's easy like sipping. It's, yeah, and I think also in keeping with their ethos, they talk about, you know, drink their drinks how you want. You know, they say you have it over ice, have it out of a teacup, you know, and I totally agree mm. with that. Also, from a cocktail point of view, what this, you know, I think you could make a really nice kind of Manhattan-style drink with this. But also, I think it worked really well in something like a Bouvardier. So mm. I think this with some sweet vermouth and a little bit of bitters would be rather lovely yeah really good uh, east london representing i think yeah it's lovely power to them so that is the london rye whiskey from the east london liquor company and it is 60 pounds for a 70 cl bottle and now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts my name is christine wiseman beverage director for bar lab and my cocktail hack is to make a shrub or a drinking vinegar it is equal parts vinegar, sugar, water. And if you have anything that is going bad in your refrigerator, like uh, berries or um, melons, um, different herbs, and throw in some spices, you can create a shrub that will extend the shelf life and you can have it up for a couple, two or three months in your refrigerator. So where did we find ourselves Went to the lovely 45 German Street, both as a restaurant and as a bar. And one of the things I love about this place is its bar is amazing and people don't really talk about it. No. So that's what we want to do. Yeah, we want it, to give it a bit of respect, you know, I big up, agree. shout out, all of those <laughs> all things of that those, people all, say. All of them. I couldn't agree more, actually, because it's it's been around for, I'm guessing, what, about five, six years, something like that? Well, probably longer. Who yeah. knows? It's always so weird when Which, you're trying to place something. Yeah, um, I, I always get that wrong. But I think... What's yeah, it's been around a while, but it's a place we really like and for so the food and the drink. Yes, and mm. it's a bit under the radar. But I guess in terms of bit food and drink, we should put it in the context of it is part of the dare I use another of our words, iconic mm -hmm. Fortnum and Mason. Yes, and it was Back in the day, you hate that expression, but back in the day, <laughs> it was their fountain room. You like know, soda fountain. Yes, yeah. but it was called the Fountain Restaurant. Uh, and it I don't was, remember that. Yeah, I, I do, actually, because oh, right, okay. I used to go in for breakfast. It was one of those power, power breakfast <laughs> places. But the fountain room was actually London's first soda fountain was housed on this site. So okay. that's why it was called the Fountain Restaurant. But they do still nod 
nod to the fountain yeah. in the, the, the drinks. drinks here. So Which we will come on to. Absolutely. Let's put it in context a little bit more. Park Fulton and Mason, but it has its own entrance. Yes. Again, which makes it feel a Gorgeous. little bit secret. It's got some of the colours of Fulton and Mason. It's got that lovely teal, is it? Teal colour? Um, yeah, it's a sort teal? of... Um, I would say sort of pistachio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, all minty, if you, you want to say, say you know. Okay. And then there's all sorts of lovely, I mean, it's it's so... Lovely red leather. Yeah, mm. it's beautiful for this particular area, which is German Street, if you don't know, is very much about the gentleman's... It's um, one of my favourite parts yes, of Yes, you, you get, you know, it. there's tailors, there's shoemakers, oh, and it's very classic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So this fits in perfectly yeah it's it yeah in that way it's kind of understated yes yes yeah. exactly hence the colors so you've got this thing so it does appeal to to male the males that will frequent the area but it's also very welcoming for women oh, so they've chosen yeah, the colors yeah, yeah. very carefully yeah. so you've got this lovely pistachio or classic mint green and mm. um, there's lovely draped window blinds that lovely, it's, it's sort of red or rusty leather, mm. isn't it? And then a marble-fronted bar, which we made a beeline for straight yeah. away. And that's the thing about it. It's it's kind of, I think, it, it, it's so great when a restaurant and a bar are beautifully balanced. Mm. You can go there and have a meal, happy. Go there and have a drink. Or have both. both. Ideally. Yeah. And, and also, I've got a big thing about bar stalls. Yes. Yeah, and these have some of the best bar stalls mm. I've sat in really and comfortable you know, you know what I like about this because we we did go there quite early on so sort of five or six or however many years ago they opened and these cocktails were actually created by somebody it's not a name that you would know nobody touts him around but he's his name is Mustafa Tamuri and he's the chief mixologist at Fortnum's and he has devised a really excellent menu so mm. shall we talk about let's that let's dip into the menu mm. I think let's start with what we started with yes which I Make no secret of, I absolutely love. It's the Martini 45, mm. which is, well, it is a sharing. I mean, you could drink one on your own. Yes. Nice. Uh, sharing is caring. So <laughs> it's made to be served for two people, which is what we did. Yes. And how was it served? So what's nice about this is they don't stir it in front of you. It's uh, pre-batched, pre-bottled. So everything's perfectly done. So it's Heppel Gin, Noli Parat Dry, and... Paolo Cortado, have I said that right? Rare mm. sherry. Mm. And so that's all prepared in advance. So it's in a bottle in the freezer and they whip it out. I should say it is diluted. It's not like pulled from the freezer. It's not a naked martini with no dilution. This is perfectly diluted. Yes. But they pour it from the freezer. Yeah, and it comes to your table that you have it in your own little bottle that you can top up and yeah, add. It's in a nice bucket, so yes. it feels a bit like wine. Mm. And nice little glasses uh, with big fat olives in them. And so it feels nice. I think it is a romantic thing to share. From and I think bottle. it should be the law that everybody has one when they visit this bar. <laughs> because it is, it is lovely and it's a yeah. great 
end of the day you know I can imagine a lot of the people that work in this area do use this as a bar for their you know before they go off yeah, home yeah, yeah. or something yeah. so that's a really great one that's the martini 45 their list takes in quite a lot of different things there's the bows which are inspired by Bo Brummel, Bo Brummel and 18th is, century dandy yes a hero uh, of mine and a hero of German street yeah. so it's great that they've recognized him so there's a list of drinks under that they have some champagne cocktails then they have the signatures they have some finishers marys which are a range of bloody marys yeah they have i think that's worth saying we, we didn't try those but i'm sure mm. we will in the future they have five variations on a bloody mary which again makes sense because this is an all-day venue mm. so you know a bloody mary pre-lunch time why not and i bet these are good as well the one that jumped out at me which i say we didn't try it but it's made with japanese dressing and kinobi gin and cayenne pepper that sounds like it's going to work really mm, well absolutely so then then they go on to the ice cream floats, which references the, the soda fountain yeah. thing that they have going on there. So these are lovely. We haven't we haven't have you had one of these ones? No. No, but, but we've had the other things which we'll come on to yep. now. You can have them on their own with no alcohol or with alcohol. And they do that very well here. There's a lot of things that you can have with or without alcohol. Yeah, which is brings us neatly on to those. Yes, I was going to just uh-huh. mention a couple of the <laughs> oh, ice cream float okay. variations. Right. Okay, cool. So there's one called black lemon, which Ooh. has black currant and lemon verbena puree, fortune gin, soda, lemon sorbet, and vanilla ice cream. And then there's one called the Kentucky Morning, which is brown butter syrup, four roses bourbon, soda and cornflake ice cream. So that can be with or without spirit. And then there's one called the 45 BC, which just comes fully loaded with alcohol, (laughs) which is Goslin's rum, falernum, honey, Coca-Cola, PX sherry, whipped cream, soda, vanilla ice cream Goodness and rum gracious. and raisin ice cream how the hell have we not had that one before? <laughs> God, that sounds amazing we've got to go back for that for that we've and then to. again continuing that kind of theme is the yeah. rickies do the you rickies. want to talk about that well the rickies is that thing this goes right back to what you were saying at the beginning about the soda fountain mm. yeah so uh, this is made with a, a range of crafted homemade syrups and then they use a house blend acid which they bring to you in a little pipette mm. next so you can sort of temp- you can adjust it to yeah, your yeah you palette. can ju- adjust your drink to your liking but it's made with carbonated house soda but again it's this thing of which we love of with or without spirit mm. and they lead with the without spirit yes. which is and you tr- you we tried both you tried both yeah and then you can add it the spirit if you like yeah exactly and the spirit they recommend the spirit to go with the particular mm. variation that you have so for example there's the number one the ricky number one which is plum apple cinnamon and then you've got the acid soda and then if you want to add the spirit their chosen spirit is heppel gin yeah and then for the number 40 there's a spiced porter spiced porter reduction the acid soda and then otto cbd bitters and then their chosen spirit for that is hampenden estate rum 
And all of the spirits come as 25 mil serve. So, you know, it's great that you can have just an equally great experience with or without. without, Yes. And I I think that's the thing that's worth saying about this. Fortnum Mason, historically, it's all about food. And in turn, that's all about flavour. So I think they've brought all of that skill and knowledge and history into their drinks. Yes, exactly. And I think it's such a, a wonderful, A, the location and the setting is amazing. But the drinks that they have here, it's really worth bringing it to your attention because it's something that we love. And we think that not enough people know about it. But I think that once you do go there, you'll be totally seduced by the expertise, the quality of the drinks and the range of, of, of cocktails they have on offer. And this is for us to say a big shout out again to Mustafa Tumuri, who is the chief mixologist and the brains behind this fantastic yeah. menu. And I think we should also quickly say the pricing. Yes. Um, with those um, Rickies, without alcohol, without spirits, seven fifty with ten fifty, so that's good. And then as a general overview of the cocktail, they're roughly from about thirteen to nineteen pounds. Yes, exactly. I I just think it's a mm. great spot. So if you are around German Street, if you are going to Fortnum and Mason or the Royal Academy, not too mm-hmm. far away, make a point to go into forty five German Street and we will be having a full review of this and the food in our upcoming issue, which is all themed around numbers. We'll be coming at you soon. I've gone for a relatively new book for this episode. We've delved into the library for previous ones. This one's kind of fresh off the press. It was published actually in September last year, but that's still quite new. Pretty recent, within the Um, last six months. Yeah, and it's called A Sense of Place, The Journey Around Scotland. And it's written by Dave Broom, celebrated author who knows everything there is to know about whiskey. And he has such a lovely lightness of touch with the way that he writes. It's very poetic, very beautiful. He does lots of tasting books or books about distilleries. This is not. In in fact, in his words, he says, it's not a guide to every distillery, nor is it a book about tasting notes. There are great books out there that do that. This is less of a journey along that very busy main highway and more of a drive through the side roads that hopefully will give you new and very different view. And it does just that. I'm just passing it to Gary. It's such a, it's beautiful. It's very, um, oh, I was trying to get through this episode without saying beautiful or (laughs) elegant. And I've said beautiful once. Hopefully that will be. The last of it. We should it. have a swear box. Yes, when yes, we, use we do. Certain words we get. Yeah, blind. we should have sound effects for <laughs> for for that. But anyway, going yeah. through it, the you can see you can feel the quality just yeah. by the weight of the paper as yeah. well. And there's some amazing photography by yeah. Christina Kernahan, who really has the light in these pictures mm-hmm. is incredible. It just really it's like celestial light on all of the subjects yeah. that she touches. It evokes a sort of atmosphere, doesn't it? Yes. A bit of being there. Oh, there's a lovely one I've just opened. It's a, a, I've got a thing about things like this. It's a deserted railway line. 
And where's that leading? I think I love things like that. Yeah, There's exactly. Sort of mystery about. Well, them. the the book is, itself, it's you know, I've told you what it isn't, yeah. but it is about um, examining Scottish whiskey, the links to Scottish whiskey through the landscape, agriculture, culture, and community. And he, it's in a way, I see it as a kind of travel journey with conversations and observations with whiskey makers and those outside of the whiskey world, including craftspeople, farmers, genealogists, and even a perfumer. And as I say, it's very poetic and it's yeah. bringing whiskey to life in a very elegant (laughs) (laughs) elegant way but it 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 isn't it's not for i wouldn't say it's just for whiskey geeks it's almost as i say kind of journal like well if you like travel writing yes yes exactly in that way it does and it travels through orkney the northeast of scotland spey valley the peninsulas the hebrides and islay and then there's also chapters on scottish oak and blends and perfume it's all about the concept of flavour and location and takes in old traditional ideas and completely new innovations, which I think is amazing. And he's picked the distillers that he's chosen. They're picked because they all show different facets of a sense of place, which is yeah. what the book is about. Yeah, it's just lovely. And there's something very tactile about mm. it, even along it's the spine. Like, it's got this lovely textured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, as I say, even if you don't read it, it's something that you would want to look look at for these lovely pictures well also i would say as well with him he's he's very eloquent in the Mm. way he speaks and the way he writes and i can just imagine sitting down of an evening with a little little whiskey a dram and a cigar or something just reading a few pages and getting let myself be transported which he does very well with his words and as you said earlier with the pictures and I, I quite like that idea of being transported for a few hours. Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. Um, it's called A Sense of Place, A Journey Around Scotland with the most outstanding photography from Christina Kernahan and words by Dave Broom. It's published by Mitchell Beasley and it is £40 and available from all good bookshops. Dennis Brockley's family hails from Turkey via Montenegro and, finally, Albania. His career began working in an uncle's restaurant before heading to London and its hospitality world, determined to be the best at whatever he turned his hand to. In London, he went from working for a leading hotel to part of the events team supplying the House of Commons. His interest in the relationship between food and drink eventually leading to his running the bar of a Michelin-starred restaurant at the iconic Tower 42. Working with some of the best people, he honed his talents, but the world-famous Claridge's held a special attraction for him. Always dropping in to see what was going on and experience the unique atmosphere. So, it was only a matter of time before he joined as the bar's assistant manager. Rising to become head bartender, he's now responsible for all the bars within the hotel and the growing team that works across them. Whilst honouring the legacy of Claridge's, he believes great bars should not be stuck in the past and constantly looks 
ways to reimagine classic cocktails and create new experiences for guests. Constantly on the move with countless projects, we're delighted he's taken time out to join us. Dennis, welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Dennis. Lovely to see you to join us on the podcast. In our eyes, you're the perfect host. Where does that attentiveness come from and what does hosting mean to you? Well, thank you very much for having me here. And, and we, you know, as you said, we always love having you in our hotel and in our bars. And yeah, for me, I think it has a little bit to do with what got me in the industry in the first place. The fact that you're welcoming guests into your bar, similar that you would, you know, with your friends and family into your home. And you want them to feel welcome, special and appreciated ensuring that you know each experience is unique and personalized be that for a first-time guest that saved up to visit the hotel or a regular guest that visits the bar three four times a week a resident that staying here for two three nights or whiskey connoisseur that it's visiting us to maybe get something very unique that they might not be having in 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 different places and yeah each guest wants to create a memory and in, in a way we're helping to do that and by doing that i always find it that they're helping us to enjoy and a unique experience and interaction that we might not replicate with you know anyone else and for me i think that is so special i think you just summed it up brilliantly there it's like a mini masterclass for what hosting should be about but it'd be nice actually if we could dennis to briefly go right back to the beginning and if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you came into hospitality and when did you know it was going to be your future yeah, I mean, you know, for me, as you very, uh, the kind introduction, I think, uh, thank you very much, Gary. But as you mentioned, I've started at the age of 14 and it started as a summer job. And for me, I think I kept going there over and over again. And I think it was originally at my uncle's place and, and just seeing him, I think he was totally in love with that place and his guests. And uh, and sometimes I see so much of him in myself. You know, he was there at six, seven o'clock in the morning and he would go home for lunch and then he could come back four or five o'clock and he'll be there until 10, 11. And that was seven days a week. You know, he just loved that. It wasn't a job or work or anything. That was his his life, his passion. And he rubbed on me a little bit and I kept going back and I kept being very persistent until he gave me a full-time job. It took a while because he was trying to, you should go to school and pay attention and then you can come back to me. But I was so sure that, you know, hospitality is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life that I was very persistent until he, he gave me a full time job. And we're really glad that he did because it's led us to you now. So we hear that you came to London in 1998 and apparently you were only intending to stay for two years why did you give yourself a two-year deadline? And secondly, what made you stay? I think, I mean, two-year line, I keep saying that to myself because I, I think that was my idea of, I work in hospitality, I would love to work into fine dining and explore a little bit, you know, because I was very aware that my uncle's restaurant was an, a good neighborhood restaurant. And, you know, we work with so many regulars, but I wanted to work into fine dining and into hotels. And, and I gave myself a couple of years because you're going into a completely new country completely new environment a new language without friends and you need a good two three year plan in, ter in terms of establishing yourself and gaining a bit a bit I always find it a bit like nowadays I think with hospitality so many bartenders they join a place for a year 
just to put it on a CV. But for me, I think it's so much more than that. I think it, it requires us a good six months to a year to understand what we're doing. And then anything else, you're adding different layers. So I always find working in a place for a good two, three years, it gives you so much more kind of experience and in-depth knowledge. And I think this is where you get the best out of the company and the company get the best out of you. I think sometime, I think six months and a year is just not enough. That's why I have this idea of minimum of two years, I always said. But yeah, I think in the meantime, after that, I think my parents were not planning to move out of Albania. And then they ended up moving to Florida. And after a few years, when you go, and now they're based in Toronto now, but I always felt whenever I visit them in Florida, whenever I visit now them in Toronto, and funny enough, because I've lived here now for 24 odd years, and funny enough, even when I go to Albania, you know, this feels more home than anywhere else, you know. So I think myself and the family have kind of this, we're very aware that this is home now. And also on that journey, before you actually came to bars specifically, you worked at some sort of Michelin star restaurants. So could you tell us about some of the places you worked and what you learned from working at them? Yeah, I think it was it was more fine dining in particular. I think, you know, out of, throughout my career, I think it has been one Michelin star that I've been part of for a couple of years. But always before joining Claridge's, I always worked into fine dining, be that through, as you said, Rue Brothers at the NatWest Tower, where it's now Jason Atherton has the social, city social is there. So it, I started my career there for four and a half years. And then moved into Brian Turner and Institute of Directors. So they all kind of fine dining. And then before that led me to working with Jason Atherton and Gordon Ramsay Group at Mace. And that was, you know, an amazing project. They received their first Michelin star within six months that they opened. And I really enjoyed the idea of... um, you know, the attention to detail, and it wasn't just about one aspect of the drinks element, and it was about the guest experience, and it was about the details of the food, where the food comes from, what farm you're using specific, about the seasonality, but also I think the work that, you know, that the restaurant was doing between the bar and the sommelier, and pairing flavors, and trying to give the guests a very unique experience. And I think over the years has improved quite a lot. I think that dynamic between back of how, or we call it heart of house, you know, in the kitchen. So the kitchen and the front of house is, it has improved so much. And it's so important that chefs realize nowadays that, you know, that getting that balance between front of house and heart of house is so important. And you see it with more chefs coming into dining room and explaining, trying to engage with the guests and sommeliers trying to check what the food that the chef is, you know, preparing and trying to pair it with different, you know, wines that they might have on the on the menu. And that kind of, for me, it's what interests me about fine dining and Michelin star restaurants. I love that expression, that that saying, heart of house. It's beautiful and it really sums it all up perfectly, which leads us on to the next thing. So then came Claridge's, which we love. So how did the opportunity come about and what was your initial role with the company? Well, I originally was a guest and 
at Claridge's and loved the fact that each time I came through the door, I was greeted like the most important person in the world, even though I only visited once in two months or three months. Staff cared so much, remembered my name, remembered my drink, and always amazed because they did that with so many guests coming through those doors. And yeah, at the time, the assistant manager there was a gentleman called Daniel Bernreuter, which is now the general manager at Helen Eagles. And it was a person that I always admired and I always, you know, saw as a great leader. And, and I always said I would love to work and under his guidance. And, you know, at the time, I think he was going through the applying for the manager role. And I think it was the day or the week that he got the role that I came in Claridge's and I asked him, can I apply? And would I have a chance if I was to apply? And he, and, and he replied, yes. And then, yeah, kind of five interviews later, I think the role, yeah, the role was mine. Yeah, originally started as a assistant manager, uh, which was a great opportunity because it was a good dynamic because we always work towards the same goals, but at the same time, only one of us was in shift. So in a way, you are a manager, but also you have someone above you that, you know, when you're having a weekly, monthly one-to-ones can give you a bit of guidance on the projects that you're working and so on. And, you know, he was a great leader for a couple of years and, and he was a person that, you know, shaped in a way, my career and where I am at this stage. And then, then originally when Daniel moved to yeah, Savoy to open the American bar and manage their beverage program, I took over the, as the Claridge's bar manager. So and with that in mind, can you tell us a little bit about what the role, which is obviously huge, what it actually encompasses for you? Yeah, I mean, the role has has grown a little bit over the years because I think we've kind of added different layers and the hotel is changed quite a lot and I'm sure many people have seen the program of you know the incredible project that we've been working on which you know the hotel going five floors down two and a half floors up adding you know going from 197 rooms to 269 by hopefully next year but yeah I look after now the beverage program so I look after Claridge's Bar, Fumoir, the painter's room and also I oversee the uh, spirits purchasing for the hotel and in particular for the Claridge's wine cellar shop, which we opened kind of a year and a half ago. So, yeah, I think for me, I think it's overseeing the operations, which is the day to day operation. And you know this very well that I love spending time there. If anything, I know we don't travel as much and we would love to. But but at the end of the day, we love spending time looking after our guests that come through the doors. So that's a big part of the operation. And then also, I think, kind of strategic planning, what we want to achieve with the bars, the level of business. We're very aware that as a hotel, we're growing and, you know, and trying to meet and exceed the expectations of our guests and working closely with the team. And and I'm sure many hospitality peers will agree this, you know, over the years, staffing and maintaining the training, development, performance, you know, of our teams have become at the forefront front of what we do on a daily basis. I'm very aware that I cannot be here 24-7. And I think for me, I think a big part of what we do, it's just ensuring that when I'm not there, that the guest is receiving a very, very similar experience as if I was there. Because if they don't, then I kind of, I'm not doing my job right in a way. Well, we can vouch for the fact that it is seamless, absolutely (laughs) seamless. So you've mentioned the three bars that you have there. Can you just give our listeners a description of the bars and the experience in each one? Yes, absolutely. I think very interesting, actually, you know, because we are 
inside a hotel that it's over 200 has a over 200 year history but our bars are quite new and i think since i started you know my main focus has been about building you know content and building things that you know like that people activations whatever we do it's about building something that people can look back in 50 years 100 years and say this is what they did in Claridge's bar or Fulmore and it's some very interesting things that we had Peter Dorelli here the other day and I didn't know this because our you know the main Claridge's bar opened in 98 so all of our bars are quite new and Peter Dorelli was telling me that when he was the Savoy group uh, that he had a bit of input when they opened Claridge's bar and that's not something that I knew before I I was very aware that Ada Coleman started her career into Claridge's and originally started in the florist shop and was taught how to make the her first Manhattan by one of our butlers, which is a, a lovely story. And later she went to become the first head bartender at the American Bar at the Savoy. Some lovely stories, but going back into our bars, Claridge's Bar was opened in 98, was designed by the late David Collins, and it focuses very much about on champagne, classic cocktails, some amazing whiskey selection around the world we have about 80 people inside about 27 in the terrace and it's always kind of buzzy and in a way i always seen claridge's bar like a good neighborhood bar meets five-star hotel because we work with so many people that work and live in the area and then there is always that kind of banter and interaction between guests and staff and the idea when we want to create that buzz, we want people to come in and wait at the bar while we are accommodated. The music is a little bit more upbeat. And yeah, we get a lot of kind of connoisseurs in terms of champagnes, in terms of whiskies. And then Fumoir opened in 2001, designed by Thierry Despont. And this takes inspiration from the bright young things who threw Daiquiri soap parties in the in Claridge's in the 1920s and 1930s. And in there, it's a very different experience for our guests. It's seating only. We don't allow standing in there. The music is a bit more kind of a jazz influence, background music, and it's a bit more private. And But yeah, a bar that we kind of, or how RPR like to call it, a hidden gem within Claridge's because not many people know it's kind of a tucked away and it's just a beautiful bar and then the painter's room was opened in september 2021 and was designed by brian o'sullivan with an art installation that runs through annie morris so the in there i think were the first two bars they look a little bit more towards the american bar concept and what they contributed to the cocktail culture i think with painter's room we wanted to look a little bit more towards europe we wanted to look a little bit more a little bit more kind of the aperitivo time a little bit more kind of a vermouth driven lighter flavors you know so we're talking more bellinis more negronis and but and in there again another smaller concept so it's about 38 covers there is no stools at the bar so it's standing very similar that if you are going to italy or france you'd have your espresso you'd have your aperitif you know a quick drink two three drink a little canapé before moving into your next be that within the hotel or elsewhere also, of course, we do, you know, we look after the foyer and reading room, which is our all day dining. And, you know, they go for a bit of a cocktail hour around seven, eight o'clock and a lot of events that, you know, we do a lot of bespoke kind of events and, you know, delicious cocktails over there as well. But three bars for them all. Wow. It makes me want to go back to all of them again, which we do pretty frequently anyway. So obviously there's a lot in your job. Dennis. What's a typical day like for you? Well, I know for me, I think I know what time I start. 
and I always have like an agenda of what I want to achieve throughout the day or throughout the week. But I always find it, this is the beauty of our industry. Each day is very different and you never know who's walking in throughout those doors. And we're always ready to change and adopt to anything that needs to be done during the day. But I think one one thing that I've, I've learned over the years is that I need to stop promising I'll be home for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> because you know like so i always say to my wife i don't know what time i'll get back i know what time i'm leaving but because it's always so you know so many exciting things happening on daily basis you know it requires a lot of our time in the operation no such thing as a typical day but one one of the things that we wanted to ask you've hosted some incredible events at, in the bars both home and away which we've been lucky enough to attend which are you proudest of and why yeah, we have indeed. And uh, even though each one was so different and unique for me, I think there was a couple that stood out that for me, I think that was Dead Rabbit from mm. the bar side and Noma restaurant from the restaurant, from the, you know, from the restaurant side. And that they, those two, I think, still remain the two that our guests and industry peers still talk about. But we also enjoyed working with the team at Nomad before and the Scofield brothers. I know they've been, you know, they've done the fumoir and done the painter's room, like more like night pop up were you know super amazing and fun to have there but and most recently as we saw you at the clumsies in athens and that was part of the legendary bars and these are to name a few i think we we try to do a little bit more and share what we do on daily basis because i think that's so important and we've got a hopefully a few planned this year and but we want to try and get a good balance between us being here and us representing mm. so i always kind of I made a bit of an effort to say, okay, if we're managed to do two, three events, four events a year, maybe two, we go out, do something fun, you know, in different countries with different bars, and then maybe two, three, we can invite within our operation. I think that's a good balance, I think, yeah. because um, again, you know, our, you know, we're always very busy, but I think it's also nice to be collaborating with brands and also, I think, amazing people around the world. And ideally, I think our team are, you know, learning, our team are getting experience and influences and in being inspired by these people that are coming in or us going there. Couldn't agree more. That swapping of ideas and talent, it ultimately, for us as guests, it just means we get better and better experiences. So more power to your elbow on that. Also, I'd just like to mention as well, we, we've talked on this podcast before a couple of times about the amazing, beautiful book that you published with Claridge's last year, your cocktail book. And it's wonderful. It's a coffee table book. It's a recipe book. And it's beautiful photography. I know all the drinks are your children in the book. But if you could you pick out, say, three that people like us can make at home? Yeah, I mean, there is so many in there. And we try to have a good balance between, you know, I think we were working on this project with, you know, Nathan McCurley O'Neill and Matteo Carreta and Alice Taracci on this project. And it was very important to us that we have a good balance between, you know, drinks that people can, you know, are simple and can create at home, drinks that are, you know, kind of easy to make for a busy bar and but complex and interesting, creative enough. And also, I think drinks that many bars around the world have 
added in there but are quite complex so for your bartender that's been working doing it for 10 15 years 20 years and once it's looking for inspiration they can you know find some in that book as well so we try to get a bit of balance in there but for me i think you know thinking about drinks that people can make at home i always find you know you need to kind of getting easy ingredients that you might have at home. I think the cucumbani is a perfect example in there, which is just crushed cucumber, just muddled lightly and with a bit of sugar syrup and then use equal measures of Hendrix gin or whatever gin that you might have at home, freshly pressed lime juice, and then you shake that fine strain into a champagne glass and then you top up with champagne, sparkling wine, whatever you might have at home. And just see, balance it if you're using Prosecco, maybe using a bit less sugar because it's not as dry as a champagne. One of my favorite that I love and I it's a bit of a dangerous drink because I always like, whenever I start, like a Garibaldi, whenever I go for lunch and I have a Garibaldi, I always have three or four before lunch. And they're so <laughs> delicious. <laughs> but when we were doing the book, we were also, I think, we were we had a we were doing a bit of like a collaboration with Dante as well, and we wanted to do a twist on the Garibaldi. So we did, you know, Campari with a passion fruit syrup. We work with a company called Bristol Syrup Company, and they do some amazing stuff. So Campari, orange juice, a bit of citrus, and passion fruit syrup all shaken up. It goes into kind of a smaller, not a high bowl, but a little kind of juice glass on ice and a big wedge of orange, and it's so so delicious. This is two that I kind of, I can go on and on, <laughs> but this is two that I think you can create. Or also, I think the Flapper, which is one of the signature cocktails at Claridge's Bar and is very easy. It's strawberry puree, a little bit of cassis and champagne. And I think for me, I think that's a perfect that you can make for one or two friends or you can make for 10 friends if you wanted to do a large jug and, you know, spend more time interacting with your guests rather than being a bartender at your own party. That's perfect. And also, that leads people on. They should buy the book because there's such an array of amazing cocktails in there. And lastly, before we wrap up, there's always something amazing going on at Claridge's. What's next in the pipeline for you, Dennis? I mean, you know, for the moment, I think we're we're focusing on there is a couple of projects that we're going to be working, but I can't share a huge amount on that. So I think hopefully we'll get to do another podcast or we'll get, a you know, a, a bit closer to when, when those projects are coming up. But for the moment, I think a big focus for us, the Painter's Room recently, as and you've been to one of these events, but we started introducing live music with uh, John Nickel every Tuesday. And it's been a, an amazing addition, you know, to, to that bar. I think it's like any new bar. I think it requires a bit of time to build a bit, you know, the clientele for people to know where it is. And I think we always do, we're doing very well on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It was always very full. Wednesday now, I think, has become the new Thursday, Friday. But yeah, Tuesday was a little <laughs> bit on a, you know, so I think we, we decided to add the music between six and 10 and collaborate with different brands. And that's been, you know, absolutely amazing. You know, we're kind of, you know, the over the next couple of months, we got some really interesting collaboration in there, including including the one in May that we're doing something for the coronation and we're creating some lovely signature serves in there and, you know, having the live music. So I think that's a big, still a big focus for me. And we're trying to, this year, I've got a couple of events that we're traveling, hopefully doing the 50 best in Singapore and and a pop-up with the bar over there. And we've got some, yeah, exciting projects for this year. 
Brilliant. So that gives us many reasons to pop back and also to get new people into the bars because, as we've said, they've heard us say it so many times on this podcast. We're huge fans and it's one of our favourite bars in London. So, Dennis, it's been amazing spending time with you. Thank you for your time and we look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a lovely weekend. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com.